we were already going to call it the Roadkill EP. We, we had decided that between like us and Mohawk Barbie, but we didn't have a cover for it. And Chris was driving to the dentist and he pulled over his car and he jumped out and he took a picture and he took a picture. Oh God. Welcome, everyone, to This Was The Scene, the podcast that takes a look back at the late 90s, early 2000 punk scene. I am your host, Mike Doyle. Before we start, if you want to support the podcast, just go over to thiswasthescene.com and scroll down a little bit to donate. And there's uh, just like a one-time donation. You could do like a Venmo, or you can also sign up to be a Patreon member. And we can go to patreon.com slash thiswasthescene. It's only a dollar a month. All that money just goes to help paying the bills for this thing. So if you want to go do that, you'd be fantastic. Stick Figure Suicide was a punk rock band from Milltown, New Jersey. The band was formed in 97 or part of the emerging emo punk rock scene of the late 90s in the Northeast. Their music has been described as a mastery of old-school hardcore moves and hyperspeed tempos with clean, precise, overdriven guitars, and they are classified as a blend of fast and melodic hardcore punk with lyrics that are occasionally humorous. They drew comparison to the music of Minor Threat and also Against All Authority. Maximum Rock and Roll described their songs on the Roadkill EP split with Mohawk Barbie as displaying some pretty good energy of their own with their early 90s style hardcore. This one really goes back to the like the origins of this podcast itself, which was very Jersey focused because my old band used to play with these guys a lot. So it was really cool to sit down with Paul and just like rem- reminisce about all that stuff. And there's definitely stories that I've told many times in this podcast, but if you're new to it, then they'll be new to you. And if you've been listening for a while, then you're just going to be hearing some some things repeated. It's still fun stuff, so I, I, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. I got Paul on the Skype, and this is what we chat about. How to develop a screaming voice, trash the CD comp, slicing his hands up at their first show, vintage vinyl, their drummer overselling them to get them on shows, their song Dread, playing with Annie Flag, getting in a fist fight with one of the other members, the Roadkill EP, meeting Dave Smalley, and a ton more. Make sure you go check out his band, Sophistapunks. There's a link in the show notes, so I made it easy for you. And uh, that's all I got to say. So feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this with anyone who would love some punk rock nostalgia. With that said, let's get started. Well, didn't it, like our first show with you guys, wasn't that at the Bordentown show? Yeah, I think, I think the first show we ever played with you guys was probably with Boxcar somewhere in Bordentown. It was that Pavilion show where Big Week played? Yes, yes, it was uh, It was probably, I think that might have been our first show, and you guys might have still been Congress of Cow. Yeah, we were. And uh, I think Nothing New played that show, Shower with Goats. Shower with Goats, Boxcar, Big Wig, You Guys, Us, Nothing New. That was our first show. That was our first show ever. Steve uh, from Speedbump put that on. Steve Bump, yes. Yeah, yep. Oh my yeah. God. yeah, they I'm played. Still, I'm still friends with him, dude. He's still he's still poking around the scene. He's got his band uh, Pissed, which is re- they're really good. I don't know if you remember Just Another Band. Anthony from Just Another Band is is the singer. He's also the drummer of what is it, Hanalee. So like he's still floating around too. I don't know if you ever make your way down to the Mill Hill, but you can definitely like have a uh, a throwback moment there. It's pretty much like, you know, Brendan's always hanging out and everybody like that. So when I was living in Jersey, cause I moved to North Carolina a couple yeah, years I ago. Yeah, I know. I saw that. The mill hill was the one spot that I've always wanted to go to just to, cause I haven't seen Dave in fucking forever. Yep. He still runs it. He still runs the basement and you know, he's still in like the, the main bartender down there and stuff. How was that place around when we were playing shows or is it newer? Like newer meaning like 15 years or old or something. Yeah. 
I don't think it was around quite back then. I think it was like slightly later. The mill hill's always been around, but I, you know, doing the basement shows, I, I'm not 100% sure about that. You should probably have Dave. You should have Dave on here. I asked him. He won't do it. He's too. He was too shy. He's like, oh, I don't know. I don't really want it. I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, I would love to talk to you about it because he was always at all those like central South Jersey shows. We'd show up with the uh, your mama love us dudes. Yep. Yep. And uh, yeah, I run into every now and again, you'll run into one of those guys there. Like you run into Chris Pinto over there or something at the Mill Hill because they all still they're all still like at least they're still like around in that general area. Some of them, I think, are probably in like, you know, PA at this point, you know, because it's just cheaper. You know, you 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 lived here. Yeah, that's <laughs> you, why I don't live there anymore. Know? That's why yeah. I moved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> In 2013, uh, 2013 was my orphan year. Uh, my mother, my mother passed away. I, I inherited the house where Stick Figure Suicide was uh, was born. I grew up in this house, but the band that was like where we used to practice was in my basement. Every time I go back to Jersey, I always drive to my hometown in Jefferson, and I'll always go to my old neighborhood and drive by my old house and just see it. And it's like a flood of memories come back comes back in all in one shot. So I'll see that in that moment, and then I drive away, and then I don't live around it. But since you're in your house, is that wild to just – like, do you see it with, like, kind of where it looks newer? Or does it just look like you've been – look, feel the same in memories and stuff since you were a kid? Like, it's just constantly surrounding you. It's, 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 um, I would say it's, con- it's the memories constantly uh, at least surrounding you, um, which is cool because it's like the way I look at it is when you buy something, right, you buy a house, I definitely wasn't going to have the money to, like, have my dream house built by a field and have my dream house built. That was never going to happen. You know, some people have that thing, you know, where they were the first people to ever live in that house. The way I look at it is like this house, I know all its quirk. I know what needs to be fixed, what doesn't, all that kind of stuff. Still like going down in the basement, the drum set. I still have that drum set. It's not, it's not here anymore though. It's over my brother's house in his garage. We jam every now and again. So I still play. You still play, right? A little bit. Nah, I mean... I like picked up my guitar for the first time the other day in, I don't even know, like, I mean, it was the longest I think I played it in like a year or so, year and a half. Like, I just, I don't know, like, I was in the whole music, into the whole music thing when I was younger, and then once the band broke up, and then I tried like another band in my early, like my mid-twenties, and I was like, I don't think, music's just not really, I like, I li- like listening to it, and I recorded some stuff, but I just didn't have the same love for it anymore, so I just have like different creative outlets like this thing that we're you know the podcast is like kind of my new thing really and i this is more of my this is like my band i guess at the moment yeah i got you i started a band a few years back a band called sophistapunks we do we still play the fast punk rock stuff but we also we our guitar player is one of the best people like i've ever seen play scott why in what way he's just so good at it he's just so good at playing ska and ska-like stuff and reggae and stuff like that compared to any other guitarist I've ever played with. Is it a ska band or is it kind of mixed between punk and ska? We have some ska punk songs and we, we have like some like just really fast punk songs that would have been perfectly at home in Stick Figure Suicide. We've got some like brutal hardcore stuff where I like scream the whole song. I got really good at that from listening to uh, Rise Against. I got really good at screaming. What's the, what's the, uh, what's the, what's the word? Um, What's the key to be able to sing hardcore? Like, I've always wanted, I was like, man, I really wish I could have a fucking hardcore voice. And I just don't, it's my voice just doesn't do that. Or like, I've never really tried to. 
So like, what, how, what do you need to do to actually make that happen without like losing your voice? Um, honestly, it's a similar function to whistling, believe it or not. Like, so yeah, yeah. Screaming is a similar function to whistling. And I thought that was really strange too, but I watched, I found a pirated copy of, uh, the Zen of screaming. (laughs) Okay. I was like, wait, with Melissa Cross, like, I was like, let me check this out. And and I checked it out and I was like, wow, it's like not what you think it is. When you whistle, right, you don't use a lot of like breath or anything, right? And you don't use a lot of intensity. You use the shape of your mouth to shape the sound. And that's like what I mean by like when you scream, you'd use that more than you think than you use your throat. Interesting. I'm like I'm like literally as you're talking, I'm like putting my mouth like I'm whistling and thinking like this I could see how this would translate into you creating like a scream of voice. So Chris, who was in Elaine Meyer, he actually went to her for voice lessons when he started Day at the Fair because Dom, who was in Scratch Kid and Escape yeah. Engine, he he went to her to learn how to just not lose his voice. And then, then I mean, I didn't realize how famous she was because I think like the guys from like Every Time I Die and all those screamo bands, they all went to her or go to her to to learn how to do that shit. Yeah, see, I didn't, you don't think about it, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, most of those guys learned how to do that from her, I think. And uh, yeah, it was it was a very it was a very cool. Uh, like I said, it was very like eye opening. And for that, I would scream. And you probably re- even remember like you know SFS. I screamed sometimes uh, in some of the songs. I-, I would lose my voice sometimes. Well, you were like yelling. I was re-listening to some of the some of the stuff. Like uh, I was listening to like the album that's got Dread and Kim and Open Wounds on it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly that's the album we did with uh, Dave Smalley. Um, Who's that's Dave actually, Smalley? What's that? Dave, that, Dave Smalley was the singer. Uh, well, he's the singer of Dag Nasty. He's the yes, singer of all. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my god! Anyone listening would be like, "Wow, this Mike guy's a fucking idiot." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that punk rock. So. You can cut. You can cut that piece out. No, I'll leave it in. Yeah. I got humility. You know, <laughs> I'll um, lose punk points. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like it was a thing. Like years ago, we we played uh we played CBGBs and we met this dude named Todd Anthony. He was in a band called Under the Gun. He just happened to like be at the show, and he was like, hey, I got this show I'm doing with this band. They're called The Sharpshooters. And I was like, Sharpshooters? I was like, isn't that like a Dave Smalley side project from Down by Law? And he was like, yeah, Dave's also in Down by Law, right? And now he's in a band called Stay As- uh, was it? Uh, Stay Asleep. No, no. yes, yeah, not Stay Asleep. I'm thinking of Big Wig. Oh, right yeah, that's Big Wig Stay Asleep. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, something in the some something sleep is the name of the band. I can't think of it off the top of my head. He he's doing that recently, and like he was doing that. Those guys, I guess, were originally doing something with him where Dave was doing like a retrospective of like all his stuff that he's done over the years. So he was like playing live, and he was playing like some Dagnasty stuff. He was playing some, I think he was playing some All stuff, some Down by Law stuff, and stuff like that. And it was like a very like intimate setting. And but that's how that whole thing happened with that with that band. Don't don't sleep is the name. Don't sleep, don't sleep. That's and it. And Tony from the commercials, he's in the band with. Really? Him. Yeah. Wow, I we toured with those guys. With the commercials? We played a bunch of shows with them on a on a on a tour once. Yeah, because we we met them at I don't know if you remember I flashed you. They used to be like a zine. They were in like the Trenton kind of scene. We met the commercials at like an American Legion or something that we played with them, and then we played some more shows with them. And I want to say like Punchline played that show too. Did that zine put out a, a comp? No, trash. You're thinking of Trash the CD. I'm. It's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, Trash the CD. I just clicked on it. We actually put that out. Um, that was actually me, uh, Sprout, uh, Chris, and Molly, 
Molly Schneider and Chris Kakis put together Unfair Records. Remember we had all those, like, I don't think you guys, were you guys on it? I'm looking at it right now because I just clicked on it in the NGPP um, SoundCloud and I can't, like, find the link to the whole album. But I, I feel like we, because we just, Sean just kept putting us and just giving our songs to all all the local comps, which came out, which was awesome. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely cool. I know you guys were on all the other ones. Yeah, like White Powder Donuts and some other local ones. I know we're kind of jumping over the place, but I don't care right now. <laughs> I still have a bunch of copies of that, of White Powder Donuts, because Stein was in SFS at one point they, for a tour. He ended up bringing a bunch of those on tour to just like give them away. And uh, I still have some <laughs> in the merch box. I was looking at it the other day. I was like, oh my God, I still have copies of White Powder Donuts. Wow. I feel like that was like a popular comp for the locals, like stuff back then. Like that one and then the one you guys put out. Those, I visually, I just remember always seeing these at shows. Yeah, dude, that, the, the Shresha CD sold, a, the, we pressed a thousand copies of it, and it sold that thousand copies in like two months or something insane. Holy shit. Um, yeah, it was because we, we would sell it to the bands for $3 a, a, a copy. They would sell it for $5 a copy. And then basically, like, we would put together, sh- and we put together tons of shows. We put together release shows like all over the state to fe- and featuring some of those bands. Uh, I think Oro Rebellion's on it. Welcome on Travis might be on it too. I'm not sure. LWL's on it. LWL's on it because we went to Portrait to mix it. And we had room for like one more band and uh, one more song. What's his name? Um, uh, Steve. Uh, no, no. The, uh, the owner of Portrait. Padami. Chris Padami. Chris. Chris. I knew his name was Chris. I couldn't think of his last name. Chris is like, hey, I just recorded this band that I think would be great on your comp. And he put me on the phone with Steve. Oh, get out of here. And yeah, and like Steve and I became like instant friends like that day. Um, and, and that was one of the things that was so great about our scene, right? Is like we all like we were all friends. We all like forced each other onto shows. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember doing that. Like someone, someone running a show and be like, well, yeah, we'll play, but you got to put so and so on it too. That's why we had like fucking t- ten bands in a four hour slot or f- four or five hour slot. Just like how did we do that? How did we do that? Because everyone had basically like a 30-minute set. I don't know, man. I mean, it would have – like the, the the band that went on at the end kind of got fucked a little bit because they'd be like, okay, well, we only have like 15 minutes now. <laughs> so yeah. we're going to not talk. The cops would come and shut it down 10 minutes into the set. That would happen to Big Wig a lot, dude. I remember that. Like oh, that happened yeah. to Big Wig. Uh, one time we were playing with them at Burlington Elks Lodge, a Joe Polito show, and I remember that happening. I remember – some kids got like mugged or something outside on the streets of Burlington, um, and and because of that, like the cops showed up to the venue and just like shut everything down. I remember like Bigwig literally played to like the bitter end. They were still playing as like stuff was being like physically shut off by the cops. Like, it, was, <laughs> it was it was pretty it was pretty crazy, dude. That's awesome. Dude, I just pulled up the CD, the comp that you did, and it's got, I'll just name a couple. It's got, like, uh, you guys, Felix Frump, 52 Pickup, Bareback. It's got, and it, on it, it's Left Wing Lester. It's not even LWL. So they even put on it as that. Your Mama Love Us, Bareback, like I said, Shower with Goats, High Strong, Oil Rebellion, Mohawk Barbie. I mean, there's, like, the Central Jersey bands, I, like, then and Trenton, I always kind of, like, kind of, like, grouped you guys with Yeah, that. well, that's, that's where we, like I said, our, our first show was... um. Borntown. 
What's Bordentown? Was that what the, no, not Bordentown. It's uh, Heightstown American Legion. I remember playing that show and it being our very first show and like hearing all these bands and and just being terror. Like uh, we, I think we were like the fourth band, maybe nothing new played, and they were really really good. And like you know, Pat had like a good voice and. Yeah. And I think they were like 14 at the time. Yeah, they were young. They were our. They were our. It was my buddy Tim Woosley, his little brother Rod. Um, they were. I think they hitched a ride down there with us, maybe. But they were like our group of friends. His brother. Like that's how we got to like befriend those kids. Yeah, and and the whole thing was like this whole this whole deal like, and I I remember just being so nervous that I was like, okay, so. And, and you, you might, I don't know if you remember this, but the, the pavilion thing had rafters going across it, right? That were, to my chagrin, turned out to be metal. But um, I jumped up onto one of the tables and I jumped up and I like swung around on them like a monkey. I was just trying to put on like the craziest show possible because I was like, if I put on the craziest show possible, maybe no one will notice that we suck. <laughs> 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 and then I can't sing. Um, and and I remember swinging from the, those rafters, dude, and, and there were like gashes in my hands and my hands were bleeding after we were. And there was like and, and the rafters, because they were metal and constantly exposed to the elements, they were rusted. Oh, God. <laughs> I do not remember this. Holy shit! Did you get a tetanus shot afterwards? Um, did you get lockjaw? No, I don't think so. No, I didn't. I didn't get. I, I remember. I remember pouring like bottled water on my hands and trying to get the rust out of oh, my out of my cup. God, oh my god! Like I said, that was my that was my very first show, and I've had people come up to me and tell me that like they remember that, and they're just being like, "Holy shit, this band's insane!" Like, because I didn't know what to do. Like, I was just so nervous that I was just like, "Well, I'll just put on a really great show." Well, what led up to that? So, like, as I always start with, like, you know, how you got involved in the scene and stuff. So, like, how did you guys, how did you go from getting into the scene to playing that show? The original lineup I formed with my, my friend Jay, Tommy, and uh, we, we formed at the Dominoes that I worked at. And these guys play guitar, and I was like, I play drums, so let's start a band. Prior to that, I had just played in my basement playing, like, metal and stuff. And I played drums for an industrial band that was kind of kind of like Knights of Rabbish, like one time. Uh, I played one show uh, with this band called Tones of Joy. I want to say we played like a New Brunswick frat party or something. And I was just I was just a drummer. I didn't like you know anything. And I would just sit there and just basically you know whack the that was that was the drum beat of every song. And pretty much like I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then I told these guys, I'm like, hey, you know, I play drums. Why don't we just call it? And we we uh, we tried out singers and uh, we used to practice at a place called Big Noise over in New Brunswick. And we tried out a bunch of singers. And one night, the singer guy, he got on the drums, screwing around. And then I got on. I grabbed the mic because he wanted to play drums for a few minutes. And it turned out I was a better singer than he was. He was a better drummer than I was. So, so we were like, okay, let's see that. Then, you know, he didn't want to be a drummer. He's like, no, I signed up to be a singer, blah blah blah. And I'm like, dude, but you're not a good singer. You're worse than me, and I'm not good either. So, like, let's, you know, I was very like monotone back then when I very first started. I got better as the time went on. You know, you practice your your craft or whatever. Yeah. Not that not that I have a real craft to practice, but you know what I mean. Like, you, you you practice and you get you get better. You start being able to hit notes and you know not just sound completely monotone. Like you're like you're just yelling everything. 
and then over time it was like okay so we tried all these people i went to a show at middle county college with murphy's law this new record store curmudgeon record was there with a box on a table and i ended up talking to those guys and ended up being like hey maybe i could find a drummer by putting can i put a flyer up in your store and they said sure i put a flyer up and this kid named gil gil klein he answered the ad Gil was a machine, man. Like he answered the ad. He 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 came and joined up. He he was in the band Class Dismissed. I don't know if you remember them at all. I think they're on a few few of the um the few of the scene cops too. But he he was in that band. He's the one that got flyers, you know, for different venues. You know, because we used to go to record stores and get flyers, right? I mean, that's how we found out about shows. We had to actually like go out into the world. And and you know interact <laughs> with other human beings. Put some effort into it, yeah. And, and interact with other human beings. So we would get flyers at like Vintage Vinyl, which I think closed this year. Yeah, I was just there the day, the weekend that they closed. Yeah, I, I went over there uh, probably a few days before that. I, I I bought a bunch of stuff off the wall. Um, you know, you know, you know the wall, the fabled wall that yeah. you know has all that all that stuff that you want, but you can't buy because it's too damn expensive well everything was like 75 percent off so i was like i'm gonna buy some things off the wall that i've always wanted <laughs> now's my time yeah exactly so i put a flyer i put a flyer up gil joined our band on drums okay. and then gil was a machine dude like he called everybody who had a flyer and just basically tried to get us on shows and he told steve some kind of crazy story that the equivalent story of like I have a girlfriend and she's from Niagara Falls, like you know that kind of story, but about our band, you know, like uh, what is that movie, uh, Breakfast Club, where he tells like that crazy story about he has a girlfriend and you guys don't know her, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. he told he told the he told everybody who would listen that we were signed or about to be signed and blah blah like anything he could. I don't I didn't know any of this was going on because I would not have condoned this, right? He he just basically told anyone anything, um, and I found this out from Steve, like. He, like years later, actually. Oh, you didn't like, know yeah. at the, you didn't know at the time he was doing this. No, I did not know at the time he was doing this because I would not have been cool with it. But he was going around and just telling people that, like, you know, we were this up and coming band and blah blah blah, and you know, just he should be a manager for some band somewhere. He managed to get us on that show, and he managed to not just get us on that show, but like we should have been the opening band. It was our first show ever, and we weren't even the opening band because he had sold us so well. I, I had been in the scene for a long time. I'm a little older than you guys, I think. I'm 47, so I'm a little older. Yeah, you're four years older. So you were like closer to Sean, who's the drummer for Landmire. Yeah, yep, yep. Me and, and, and Brendan, I think, is about around my age. And I think Derek Boxcar is like my age. Like Tom, I think, might be or close to my age. Wait, so explain. Wait, so, okay, I like to dig into things. So like what you guys didn't get a show for a minute and there was some turmoil. Like what was going on there? Well, it was like the uh, the other guys in the band. I had written all our songs that we had originally, like on our original demo tape. One of them was actually a cover of like my brother and his friends. It's a hidden track on the tape. But all the other songs I had written, right? I would just, I don't play guitar. I don't play an instrument well. I would sing guitar parts or, um, you know, badly play guitar parts to show someone, hey, like play this riff or that riff. Because these guys that were... I was working with at the uh, what you call it. They were very like metal heady. I didn't want to play metal. I wanted to play punk rock. Push came to shove, and we you know went and then they tried to kick me out of the band. Really? Yeah. My bass player at the time was a good friend of mine that I had known from like 
the high school band days, like when you play like in a band in high school. And I didn't play in a band in high school, but um, Chris did, you know, uh, a Sprout. He played he played in a band in high school. And anyway, he had basically said he wasn't going to do it anymore. And then Mark, which was our drummer at the time, I mean, our bass player at the time, he called me up because Gil had left the band a while later, mainly because of that shit that I just told you he was doing. And Mark called me up and was like, dude, they're trying to kick you out of the band. He's like, they called me about it. And he was like, no, I'm staying with, you know, you guys do whatever you want. I'm staying with Paul. And he had been in the same scene you know, that, that high school scene with, with Chris. So he, we, you know, we went over Chris's house and I convinced Chris to pull his guitar out and play guitar. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, Alex played drums. It was that show that made all the difference. We played that show and that was a, a, in some kid's backyard, Matt Berlint, I think his name was, it was, it was some kid's backyard boxcar played that show too. And so we, like, we were seeing them for the second time. And that's like the day that like we became friends with boxcar. And it was just this this thing where after that show, which was like the second, maybe it might have been the third. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, as as you know. Um, so so um, but that that show after that show, we got what I like to refer to as um, I always thought of it as like a slipstream kind of thing, right? Where like you just kind of like got picked up in like the whirlwind. After that show, we started getting offered shows. You know, people started calling us up and being like, hey, I'm doing this show. Can you play? And I'm like, wait, what? What? what is this? How does this happen? Like, <laughs> you know, like, what the hell? We've like, earned it. Yeah, it was like once we found once we got, you know, Chris and myself and this kid named Mark and Alex was playing drums. Like once we had that, we finally had like a solid core of the band. My vocals, I always thought of my vocals as you either like them or you don't. Because they're weird. I think they're weird. Whenever I hear myself on anything, I always think, like, I hate my voice. And I'm sure, like, that's probably true of everyone who ever hears their own voice. Because it sounds different in your head than it does, you know, when you put it on tape, right? Yeah, it's always weird when you hear it on tape. I mean, I, I, like, I don't know, because I was, like I said, I was listening to that album. What is it? Another... <sighs> nice, nice, totally badass. What's it called? Because there's no name on the CD cover. It's like, you, it just says Stick Figure Suicide. And it's got the drawings. Like, it looks like yeah, yeah, nice, nice, totally badass. If you look at the, if you look at the spine, you'll see that it says. Oh, okay, because it only has the front of the 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 picture on um yeah on SoundCloud. But I think when you have a hardcore voice in general, there's it's like you are gonna kind of what's the word like push certain people who want like a nice gentle voice to you know to be into it. No, exactly. And like my whole thing was like I was like super influenced by Seven Seconds and Minor Threat, obviously. That whole thing with Dread, our our first song where we really like started to find our sound, I think was the song that's on the the split that we did with Mohawk Barbie. Mohawk Barbie, yeah, where we did uh and we have a song on there called Every Evil Hour Hand. I think that's where we started to really like find our sound where we kind of decided we started to incorporate some more musicality into it instead of just like banging away at four chords. And that's actually completely inspired by we went to a show at the what's that name of that place. Um, it was in North Jersey, started with an M. They had a church and it was boxcar. And Bigwig and, and 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 me and Chris went to go see Boxcar because you know we we were friends with them at this point, and we went to see them and we were just like when Bigwig played it was the first time we ever saw Bigwig 
Um, and uh, when Big no, Week... first time you guys saw Big Week was at that Pavilion show because they played like right before Boxcar or after Boxcar. Oh, the first time Chris ever saw Big Week. Okay. Chris wasn't in the band then, um, right? So it was, it was me, Jay, Tommy, and Alex, and you know, myself. It was just the four of us. Chris saw Big Week and was like, wait a minute, you can do that? You can do that and it's still considered punk rock? That basically opened the floodgates to being like, wait a minute, we don't have to like play simple Ramon sounding type stuff. We can do stuff that's more technical, more you know what's called and it was that it was that show and specifically big wig that um kind of changed things for us you know it's funny you said that because that is another influence i heard in the first like the couple of songs on that cd i was like i hear a lot of i hear i hear big wig in this yeah there's there's definitely like i said there's some there's some aspects of that well it was it was like and you also can hear in dread anyway i mean you can hear the deliberate use of the chord progression from from Metallica, from Four Horsemen. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that. That was like our little tribute because we, we like loved Metallica, and that's also why if you listen to SFS's like stuff, there's like you know a thousand different parts. <laughs> like it's like there's all those different like chord changes and time changes and stuff, and that's because of Metallica. That was because we um we're listening to like early Metallica stuff and we had like grown up on it and we just like and Chris was like hugely into it Metallica and um Metallica and Bigwig <laughs> Metallica Bigwig Bouncing Souls when that after that happened where we started like getting offered shows and we started like there was a period of time where and it might have probably happened to you guys in fact I know it happened to you guys too where people would stick you on flyers for shows you were never asked to play I don't. I think I remember this because, like, I would just show up. Like, Sean would say, "Hey, we have a show." Because we never booked shit. Sean did all the booking, which is just so stressful. And we're like, "Yeah." So when it, the show went bad or something like that, or it would be crappy, we're like, "Thanks, Sean." <laughs> no, there there were shows that I went that like I would see like there were there were shows where they say you guys were booked because you guys were booked all the time, just like we we were booked all the time. You guys were booked all the time. Humble, Humble was booked all the time. LWL was booked all the time. Right? Yeah. Mohawk Barbie, High Strung, like we were all yeah. we were all booked all the time, right? That was a thing where we looked at it and we were just kind of like, you know, I would get we would get asked to play a show, we'd say no, you know, we'd be like we can't because we have a show that day. And we had done the thing where we made a mistake and played three. I played three shows in a single day. Don't do that. <laughs> especially as a singer. Especially as a singer who like decides to like jump around and flip onto his back and all kinds of Wait, where was where were the shows? Do you remember where the... uh, West Orange American Legion? I'm just trying to map just the craziness of the drive you had to do. I want to say it might have been the Palace and then it was uh the Bordentown Derby Firehouse. I wonder if like we 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 played any of those shows that day with you guys cuz we had to have been like at one of those venues. I think you might have played Punk Fest. Punk Fest was like the, uh, I think it was it was ridiculous. There was he set up two stages in the same room. I think he had something like eighteen bands on the show or something ridiculous. Not it was nonsense, and um, and and it was and I'm pretty sure you guys played that. Is that the is that the video that's online? Like the shower with like the like we're in it. Humble's playing shower with shower with goats plays. Yeah, Shower with Goats was Shower with Goats was there. Was Supermarket Boxcar All Stars there. at that show? Do you remember the Supermarket All Star show where I was like, this band's totally ripping off Slapstick? No, I don't. I don't remember. I, I remember them. I remember Supermarket All Stars, but and I remember Slapstick. 
but it was at that show. So I'm just trying to like, cause just trying to put like which that was, but incidental. Yeah, dude. I just remember like so many. I remember a great show we played with with Annie Flag. Annie Flag was at the what's what was the Lynnhurst thing? I don't remember what it was. Lynnhurst was that American Legion? Yeah, that was a that was a Legion because they had the steps in the front that walked up to, to the columns. Yeah. Yep. So um, we ended up playing that show and. We didn't real like we thought about it years later, and it's like, wait a minute, because we were talking with Annie Flag, and Annie Flag asked us, you know, like, you know, how much like touring do you guys do or whatever. Uh, it sounded to me like li- listening back to it, I'm like, wait a minute, was Annie Flag asking us to tour with them? Like, and we didn't even fucking like pick up on it. It was early on though, right? It was when they were still playing like American Legions and stuff. Yeah, they were playing um, the album with Die for Your Government. Yeah. Yep. Yep, and uh, I remember being at Warp Tour a couple of years later, and they were playing on the main, uh, they were playing on one of the bigger stages, and this kid being like, um, "Dude, I, I love this band so much," and I, I, I don't know why, but I was just like, I was like, "Dude, I was like, I know them." I was like, "You want me to like see if they'll like come over and talk to you?" And he was like, uh, "He was like, yeah, yeah." And he's like, he's like, he's like, really, you do that? And like, you know, I ended up like getting him to kid come over and talk to him and because of that the kid came and watched us you know because we we were playing that day on like one of the stages and it was cool we, we were playing on like a local stage where we had like you know some kind of like ernie ball battle the bands kind of thing we're playing and the crowd's getting bigger and bigger and, and we're like i'm like dude what the hell is going on <laughs> like um because i was like there's got to be like better bands playing right now <laughs> like besides us like turned out one of the people in the crowd was in the band the deviates the deviates came and watched us because we apparently were on a compilation with them uh this dude from new york had contacted us years uh, a while back and said like hey do you guys want to be on this comp and we were like yeah let's go on this uh but you know sure we'll send you a song so we sent him dread i think we sent him dread mm-hmm. and we sent everybody's dread yeah that's a good song <laughs> that, was our, that was our that was our song that was the song that um like i said got us played on k-rock it got played on k-rock uh in new york in new york matt, matt pinfield played it on his uh show he had a show called local licks or something like that and kroq played it and k edge played it and in arizona and like it it started going places and that was because it had dave's name on it because it said you know dave smalley mixed the record so like that was what helped us but getting back to the, to the other thing because i'm 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 ADD guy by the way. I'm a bad ADD and I bounce around. So That's okay, I'll, I'll I'll rein it in. So you're so the deviants are in the crowd. And so then... they invite us. Now I don't know if you know this, but when you when you when warp when you play warp tour, there's an after party each night. And so they, yeah, they do like a cookout or something. They do a cookout. The deviants came and invited us to the cookout, and I got to like hang out with like Pennywise and No Effects and like all these bands that were like my heroes. That's just it was so crazy, dude. And we got to meet Kevin, um, Kevin Lyman, you know, the, the guy who who runs Warp Tour. And that's how we proceeded then to get on Warp Tour several other times. I think we were on Warp Tour like three or four times. What stage did you guys play when you? Yeah, we'll go back to the the cookout in a second, but like moving, kind of just dipping well, the into cookout, the future the, coo- a bit. the cookout, like I said, the cookout was a thing with like, you know, like I said, everybody was there. And we were the only local band there. It was just uh, like because the Deviates had specifically invited us and the Deviates were running it because they were like the new kids on the block at the time on the tour. So they had to run it each night. 
they introduced us around to like you know Pennywise and and No Effects and all those guys. They were like you know, they, I guess the Deviants like really liked us because they were they were going around out of their way to like you know show to show to show us to people. So when you guys are like you guys are doing all this and you're starting to get a little bit of a you know you're getting like fan base, people are starting to notice you. What in the inner camp were you guys thinking? Like, were you balancing this with just like, oh, we work, and then we just play some shows, and that's just the way it is? Or were you like, let's really, let's go after this thing? Oh, we we, we work and we play some shows. <laughs> like, and that was that was our thing. And we we, we plan, you know, we were like, hey, we should start, you know, branching out more, play more tour, play tours, you know, do stuff like that. Because I see that you guys put out. I mean, again, this is going with Discogs right now, but it's you've got. The split with Mohawk Barbie in '98, and then you've got nice, nice, totally badass on Umbilical in '99. '99, yep. and then the last thing it says you put out was Mission, but then the other record we keep talking about that was because like I'm trying to put piece all this together because you guys break up in 2007, but like 2002 you have a release, and then that so by Discogs it's just saying like you, you basically have five years where you just but between putting out your last release and then 2007 happens, you break up and so you don't put anything out, but you did. Nice, nice, totally badass got repressed at least three times where basically and it got picked up by a different label each time. Yeah. It's got umbilical. It's got reinforcement. Okay. So that was, so that was the one you did in 99 and then, okay. Yeah. So you do put out a final release in 2002 and then put nothing out. But no, for five we, years. Yeah, because we, we, we couldn't like, get our shit together basically. Um, you know, we, we were, we, we still existed, but like, it's kind of like that, like a hiatus kind of thing where we didn't, we never like officially broke up. We still existed. We still occasionally got together and practiced and worked on songs. We recorded a song called blood in the water, which we never released, but it was recorded in, I want to say 2007. We did do a couple shows in 2007. But by then, the lineup was different yet again. We did a reunion show in 2013 at, at the Mill Hill, and we were all tricked into doing that. What do you mean? The kid who ran it, he's like persona non grata because he turned out to be a really bad dude. We found out found that out later. But no, the basically, he was just this, this dude that we all knew from the Mill Hill. He asked me about it, right? And I was like, well, I would do it if... Chris would do it. And Chris was a different Chris. This is a uh, Chris Snee was from Pennsylvania. He had joined our band in, I think, 2001. Around the same time, Brendan joined. Brendan was, you know, B-Nuts was the drummer of SFS on the second record. The mission record is all Brendan. We broke up. Like I said, we broke, we broke up or I left the band in two. I left the band for a while in 2001. Oh, so they had a different singer for a minute. Uh, they tried. <laughs> they tried. <laughs> um, they they said they couldn't do it because um, I guess my being a drummer, I sing on the beat. Now that I pointed out, you'll you'll be able to. Ne- it'll be something you can never unhear. I don't sing in a typical way because I'm not like trained or anything like that. So when they tried out like different people, yeah, it was it was a, it was a bad thing where like basically Chris and I Sprout we got we got in a we've been friends our whole lives. And we got in this really bad fist fight. Wow, on tour. really? Yeah, we got this bad fist fight on tour, and I quit that day. So what year was that? I think that was like 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. And Stein was playing uh, bass at the time for us. And this dude named, 
that dude named Todd Anthony that I mentioned before from the band uh, Under the Gun, he was playing guitar. And Omar was still our was Omar still our drummer? Yeah, Omar was still our drummer. And that was for that was for a tour. We had driven from Florida to Pennsylvania, played a show with Dynamite Boy. Okay. On that tour. And then and then drove home. And then we were gonna play a house party here in New Jersey. We were gonna play like uh somebody's house. We were gonna just like play uh, they they had a pool and so we were just gonna like play in their yard and then we had a couple more shows for the tour to, i think we had a show in maryland and a show in uh in virginia maybe and then the tour was going to be over but after that fist fight i was kind of like well this is my best friend like our friendship isn't worth this band basically so i was like you know what i'm gonna step away from this band and we'll work on repairing our friendship can i ask what started the fist fight i showed up a few minutes late to leave for the show, but everybody else was like still asleep. He was like, dude, he's like, you're late. And I was like, I'm like, dude, everybody else is still asleep. And it was just a lot of tension, I guess of like, you know, like they have that old thing of like, don't ever like be, uh, be like, don't ever live with your, your, your best friend. Don't ever be a roommate with your best friend. I, I think it was that kind of thing. Band stuff is different, right? I mean, band stuff, when you're looking at it, like as, as business, from a business standpoint, right? You're saying like, it's, it's not personal stuff. It, it's, it's business. Like meaning like, you know, like, okay, well, you know, Hey dude, you're not hitting that note. Uh, you need to, you know, uh, go back and do another take that kind of stuff. Right. When it's between friends, it starts to get more personal. Oh, totally. And I think it was just that kind of thing. And the tension just built and built and built. And, um, you know, we went at it. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I, like I said, in that day, I left the band. I was really mad about it. I went home. I just posted on, on our site. Like, I was, I, I was probably pretty vindictive about it, actually, because I posted, like, that day on our site that, you know, thank you, you know, the, the, the thank you, but we're done post. Mm-hmm. You know, the other guys were, like, you know, still wanted to keep going. And, and Stein was going to, and I think there was one show. I think they did go play that show at that house, and I think Stein sang. That was the reason I think that we worked so well with Mohawk Barbie and, you know, why we ended up doing that split is like we were the two we were the two bands that were just enough hardcore to not really be pop punk. Oh, totally. Yeah, you guys were 100 percent the bands that like that were the harder sounding bands in the local scene because everyone else we were all doing the pop punk like slash kind of emo shit. And there was very few bands that. That I remember being having that harder sound. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I looking back on it now, like I think Bigwig did too. They, had they definitely had pop, they definitely had poppy stuff too, but they had like some like you know they you know they would break into like like Best of Me and shit like that. Yeah, and it's like you know that shit's heavy. You know that shit's pretty heavy. And like um, what is the uh when they do Big Mouth when they used to do the Big Mouth cover uh-huh. yeah, from from Gorilla that. Biscuits um uh, like you know that's like mouth. yeah I mean that's like that's a straight up hardcore song. Well, they went in that direction. Like they st- they started off more catchy, but like I feel like you guys were the bands that were like known as more of the harder sounding bands. Yeah. Besides like the uprises and all the other hardcore, like there was the hardcore bands, but there's like the harder punk sound. That was you guys. We tried that. We actually did try that. We tried to play a couple hardcore shows, and that went over like a turd in a punch bowl, dude. Like that was <laughs> that was that was like oh, it was awful, dude. Like it. 
okay, it was like everybody, everybody at the hardcore show was like, why is this pop punk band on this hardcore show? I could see where that would be kind of a pain for you guys to find where your kind of place was. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the thing that we loved about like the the NJPP scene was that like for the most part embraced us as being part of us, you know, being part of it. And there was there was us. There was also that band. Um, what was it Flat Earth Society? I don't know that one. That was Flat Earth um, Society. Yeah, Flat Earth Society was, but they were more. They, they were just a little more hardcore. They were a combination of pop punk and hardcore, just like we were, but they were a little more hardcore where we were a little more pop punk. We were on the pop punk shows. They were on the hardcore shows. I think his name Sean. Sean, yeah. Um, Sean, we 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 did like definitely cross paths a few different times, especially in like South Jersey. So South Jersey used to have these weird shows where they would have like us and like what was that band? Was it? I can't remember the name of the band. The the, the drum the drummer would play a drum set where it was, it was a clear drum set and he put lights in he put bright red lights inside it and the whole band would play in the dark. It was a really really weird. Oh, wow. weird. It was a, it was a really weird band, but they were like really super heavy. I do not remember that band. And they were like, the, like I said, they were down in South Jersey. We started to get like into like we started getting shows down in like, was it like um, Atlantic City and stuff? Like we started, we started like getting shows like that far away. Um, you know, we started to, to really branch out. We played a lot in um, upstate. We played a lot in upstate New York. We used to play a, a lot of shows with. You guys ever played Nyack? Yeah, there's a video of you guys playing at the Playhouse on YouTube. Yeah, we, 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 we played a few places. Uh, we, we used to play those places. Ed was in SFS for a while, actually. Who, who's Ed? Ed from um, the guy who ran the, the Playhouse shows, uh, Ed Willick. He was in Easily Amused, and he was in a couple other bands up that way. A couple of years later, like he called us up one day and was like, "You guys need a second guitarist." And we were like, "What?" And he was, you know, he basically like invited himself to join our band. Uh, <laughs> and, like he was like, he was like, "You guys need a guitarist." So at the time, it was uh, that was after Mission. It was after the Mission record came out. We we had played. Okay, so I'm trying to think of like a good way to get to this. It's like a, and I'm bouncing all over the place, and it's all jumbled in my head at this point because you know back then we did it we 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 did a, not like hard drugs, but we did a fair amount of uh, illicit substances. Okay, um, I was more of a drinker. I was I was I never we, uh... yeah. Well, as I'm saying, drinking and like smoking pot and stuff. You know, I occasionally dropped some acid, did stuff like that, but not too much of that. Like I didn't do that at shows or anything. You probably remember like people like beer bonging in the parking lot and stuff before going into a show because you couldn't bring the alcohol into a show it's all coming back to me but it's like coming back in pieces that's fine well i mean there's like i mean like i said i I, so i have these a bunch of browsers open with just you know the soundcloud and then the discogs and then there's that video on youtube so i can we have a soundcloud (laughs) yeah well you're on the ngp njpp oh okay i was gonna say yeah like all of your all of your stuff's on there you have the um I mean, it goes back to, let's see, what's this album? Is the Nirvana cover on there? Well, it's like some of the songs are Not Give Up, TV VCR, and then uh, Mission. And it's got Mr. Mustache, Psycho Bitch, which is on the comp. And then you got this red album that's got uh, Social C, this other one. Oh, it's, like, it's, a red, it's the red cover with the just the logo? Yeah, because it's not letting me see it. When I'm yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a demo that we put out that has TV VCR. Like, like like social C and then that hat and then that has what's the other cover there's there's two covers on it there's a 
Does the Kid Dynamite cover? Well, on the red one, it's just Social C, TVVCR, and SFS. And then you have another one that looks like it's like a, an animal or something on the cover. Every Evil Hour Hand this is the one you were talking about. That's where you said you kind of found your footing. Every Well, Every Evil Hour Hand is on the... Um, is that the thing with the flame? I can't really see because it it's like a small icon. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Actually, no. Wait, now when I click on it. No, it's like... um. Oh, that's the split with with you guys, the Roadkill EP. Yeah, it's the Roadkill EP. That's, Yo, that's split with so gross. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's a that, okay. That's so the whole thing, up. whole thing with that was okay. Chris was Chris was on the way to the dentist, right? Oh, that's a real photo that you guys that's took. A, that's a real photo. Chris, oh, Chris God. was Chris was on the way to the dentist. He you know was rushing to the dentist, driving down the road, and he saw it. I think it was Stein that had said something about the name. We were already gonna call it the Roadkill EP. We, we had decided that between like us and Mark Barbie, but we didn't have a cover for it. And Chris was driving to the dentist and he pulled over his car and he jumped out and he took a picture and he took a picture. Oh God. Um, we got in so much trouble for that cover. Mike, you have no idea. Really? Tell that story. <laughs> well, dude, we would it's have so animal, graphic. It's so graphic. Animal rights activists, like get all bent out of shape that we had it on the cover. Like they would give us so much shit. We didn't kill it. We just took a picture of it. Like, we're not like we murdered this thing to put it on the cover of a record. Like, <laughs> I can imagine you guys being set up next to like a, a band who has all those vegan pamphlets like on the table and you just put your CDs out like, uh, yeah, that, def- that definitely happened. That definitely happened. Oh, um, shit. we used to, and we used to make the flyers with the, uh, well, Tim did that. Like when he was in the band, he used to make flyers with, you know, you do like old day, old school. You cut out pictures and you put them on the thing, and you took them to the library and you made copies in the thing. And your flyer came out, looked completely, you know, to any adult looked completely insane. And like you, you brought it up to the counter to like pay for it, you know, pay for your copies that you made at like you know Kinkos or wherever you did it. Tim would make them with porn. <laughs> like, oh shit! And he would cut, he would cut them out of like you know like what they call jerk mags, right? He would cut them out of, <laughs> he would cut them out, and he'd put them on the flyer. And he's like, oh, people aren't gonna throw this flyer away, you know? Which you know, technically, I guess is true. Um, and then he would put like black bars over like the the nipples and the vaginas and stuff. The areas. Yeah, he put black bars over those areas. And um, but dude, we got. We almost got arrested for distributing pornography to minors. Oh, because, shit. Because of those flyers. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, got, <laughs> we, got, we got in trouble for that. Um, and then the other thing we used to do, and I don't know if, the, if, if you remember the Derby Firehouse, right? You remember the Derby Firehouse, right? Yeah, we, talked about, yeah, we talked about earlier. That's that's where I was like, the, that's what that show was, the 18 Bands Fest. Yeah, that yep, about. yep. And we used to play there a lot. And one of the things we used to do was, do you remember... Do you remember that there used to be these things called beer balls? Well, one of my friends worked at McDonald's. You know, those cu- those you know those very um, what's the word I'm looking for? The those very inconspicuous cups um, that you know. So my friend stole like a, a thing of those cups, and we had those in our van. And I'm sure I probably gave one to you at some point. Um, but we would we would fill these cups with beer. <laughs> And just indiscriminately give them out to people that chose. Um, when we were, when because we, we were like, I guess we were probably like maybe 23 at the time. Um, so we would, we, we were like, we were like, we're giving back to the community, you know, we'd be filling these, filling these things up. I think that probably helped us too, because like, uh, honestly, like people were always like crowded around our van. That's because they were getting, that's because they were getting free beer. That's good marketing. <laughs> 
It's like you guys in the boxcar van were just the uh, the party vans. Well, exactly, exactly. And um, yeah, we we had quite a few good times with those guys. Like uh, you know, partying with those guys after shows or before shows or you know during shows. You had mentioned how you were 23 at the time, and I remember Sean in our band. He was older, so he could buy us beer. Like we'd be like, "You got to buy us beer tonight, Sean." It's like Saturday. We're gonna hang out in your roof, like. So you're that age, and then this is like in the late 90s, and then you guys get it to 2007. Is like one of the things that, you know, at the end in 2007 that made you stop was just because I talk about the scene changing all the time. And I feel like you, I don't know, for some reason, like, I think like you personally did not like that scene change in the 2000s. Am I right? I just felt like it was like, okay, the, here's the thing, right? With, with, with In the 2000s, right? There was like a bad, a bad pop punk band isn't that bad, but a bad emo band is like, horrible dude like and i love i like emo i i like emo i like i like a lot of i like a lot of good emo bands i always love i always loved you guys like i always loved you guys i always loved like try to think of some other ones uh let's see like sunny day real estate and stuff like that like i i, I liked all i liked a lot of those bands right and i still like a lot of those bands and i and i like bands and i like the bands from that era i like story of the year that the bands of that ilk like i like i like that stuff i it's not that I don't like it, right? But when it's bad, it's really, really bad. And like where a pop punk band that's bad, it's like still okay. Because it's not like, it's not as like horrible on your ears, you know? Like, um, and it's just, so, some of those bands were just so bad. And it just also became very like, oh, well, so-and-so is making it. Um, so it, our scene became more cutthroat, I, I feel. Oh, Totally. The, the, these younger kids like they didn't understand what they, they didn't they didn't get and i look back on it now and i always think of it as like it was something that was like so much bigger than the sum of its parts you know like when you look back on it and you can feel it and i've actually talked with people uh you know in other places like when i went um i ended up talking to someone i ended up going to vegas right i was in vegas at punk rock punk rock bowling and someone recognized me as being from stick figure suicide. And I was like, wait, how is this fucking possible? Like, <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? Like, and this was like, not that many years ago. Right. And I'm just like, dude, what the hell? Like, cause the thing was, we were about, to, it was, we were doing uh, punk rock karaoke. And this dude looks at, there's a, one of the dudes was from, I think maybe it was one of the dudes from the dwarves or like one of those bands, right. Was, was going to get up and do a song. And then I was, I, I had signed up to do a song and I happened to be like, after or you know after him and there was another guy after me that was in one of the other bands and another one of the guys on the stage is like oh this is awesome three pro singers in a row and i'm like wait what are you talking about and he's like he's like no he's like he's like you were in that band from the east coast and i'm like wait what the hell like how do you know this and um i ended up going up on stage and uh doing uh doing a dicky song and it was kind of crazy because the guy from the dicky was in the punk rock karaoke band like one the uh steve oh uh, shit stan, stan lee was in the band <laughs> like, oh that's cool yeah dude it, it's an awesome dude if you ever get a chance go i i went there in 2000 when the fuck was it 2007 i went there and i got annihilated and i didn't even get to see the shows because we were i was hanging out with this like san diego crew that i met when i was living out there and we got there at like midnight did mind erasers drank till seven in the morning slept until eight in the morning so i slept an hour kept drinking till three in the afternoon and then i passed out from three in the afternoon until eight the next day 
So I completely missed the fucking show, but we were just partying in where that it's like the old part, old school Vegas. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It takes it takes place in old Vegas. It's um, I I always when I go, I get a room in the um in the Golden Nugget. That's where and, we were. That's got yep. that fountain with the bear and shit. Yep, and everybody's there. Like it's like crazy because there's like um, you know, and it's got that uh. Or the eagle, the eagle screams like once an hour or something. It's a mechanical eagle. Do you remember this? I'm trying to remember. I mean, I was pretty jacked up the whole time I was out there, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it was, but it was crazy because I ended up like hanging out in the, uh, like, hanging out in the bar with Eric Melvin and like a couple other people because they were just they were they were staying in the same hotel. Yeah, we didn't see any of those guys. We were all just in that bar that was next to the fountain. But everyone else was in the casino, like playing the whole time until like all hours of the evening. Yeah, dude, it was just, and that's such a it's such a like good time, and it's just like, do you want punk rock from noon till four in the morning every every day for four days? Then <laughs> go do the, go do this. Yeah, that was like when my liver could handle it. Now it's two days straight, and the third day, I've said this before, I was like, I just I just can't, I cannot fucking hang anymore. It's so hard. Yeah, it was, it was, dude, it was, it was crazy. My friends like dragged me out there. Like I had kind of, after, after SFS, there was a time period where I kind of like just didn't have anything to do with music. I just kind of got jaded and I was kind of just like, I'm not going to do music anymore. Uh, it came, it pulled me back. Eventually it pulls us, it eventually pulls us all back. Right. But um, I, I, at the time I was just like, I'm never, I'm, I'm just done. I didn't, I didn't go to shows. I didn't do anything like, and cause a lot of the time when I would go to shows, I would see bands and I would just be like, wait, why wasn't that us? You know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you kind of felt the same way. Yeah, I did for a little bit. And then I really, I was like, I don't want to live that life. I was just, oh, I was like, I don't want to fucking tour anymore. I'm sick of practicing. I'm sick of bringing all my shit into a show. Like, the playing is great. That 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever it is, like, that part I love. But it's just the, everything around that, I was like, yeah, I'm good. I don't want to do that shit yeah, anymore. Yeah, no, exa- exactly. And people don't realize that. People don't think about, like, as, as you, you know, you know from being in a band, that it's, like, the hardest job you'll ever have to, like... Make no money. Make, make no money. Yep. Like, you, you know, it's like, it's like I'm doing all this work and it's like, that's why when people are like, oh, that band sold out. It's like, dude, if only I had, the ch- if only someone gave me the chance to do that, like, yeah. you know, like uh, I would have, I would have done that. Um, you know, it's like it, it, you put so much work into it. In the end of the day, it's so little payoff that you have to love it. You have to just absolutely love it in order to do it. Well, it's like, oh, yeah, sorry, go on. Oh no, I, I was saying I never got to finish the whole story about how Dave ended up producing our record, which I thought was pretty a pretty cool story, and I think where we maybe should end. Yeah, perfect. So we played. So we we were playing with the sharp last of the sharp the band called the Sharpshooters. Last of the Sharpshooters is the name of a Down by Law record, and he did, he did a a band called Sharpshooters, and we were playing with them at some like little dive bar in New York City um, that Todd Anthony had set up. I was like, you know what? It might be totally the dorkiest thing in the world to do, but I'm going to bring my copy of Can I Say, and I'm going to ask Dave to sign it. And I, I was just like, you know what? I know it's not the band that we're playing with, whatever. I was like, but I'm going to totally geek this out and just like fanboy it up because I've been a fan of Dave Smalley forever. And like, when am I going to get you know a chance to get this record signed, right? I go and I very timidly approach him. <laughs> like, 
he's sitting at the bar we're playing at and i like before we play and i'm timidly approach him and i I have my copy of can i say like uh, i think behind my back with one hand like i was i was really nervous right and i go up to him and i'm like hey um i'm sorry you know and i told him straight up i was like i was like you know i don't know when this opportunity is ever going to present itself again and you know i'm sorry you know if this is like really dorky or geeky or whatever but um would you sign this right and his reaction like totally completely took away any fear i had because he was just like he was like oh my god he's like i'd love to sign that for you he's like that is so cool that like you want me to sign this like he was he was totally like completely unaware of like you know, and the way I look at it, like unaware of who he is, you know, to like the punk scene or to who he is to like my life. And we play and I end up talking to him. And and then at the end of the night, um, I gave him a copy of the seven inch because the seven inch was out. Right. I gave him the seven inch and I said, yeah, we're the band on this side. I was like, I had heard that you produce bands. I just, you know, asked him, I was like, hey, can can you listen to this and let me know if you'd be interested in producing it? Right. And he, he said, he said, Oh, thanks. So he like, he like graciously accepted it. Like genuinely like thanked me for the record, which I was just like, wait a minute. I'm like this, like, you know, just random, like fanboy giving him a record. He's not like telling me to fuck off. And I, I, I learned years later that that's just not like in Dave's wheelhouse. Like Dave's just not that person like ever. So we end up like, doing this whole thing right and uh we, we end up playing and you know how neil did the shows at the palace so down by law is coming through and uh i'm like neil you got to book them at the palace and he's like okay so so we're play- so i come up the stairs i come inside and down by law is sound checking right and i walk in and dave holds his hand up and stops the band right in the middle of the sound check and he's like and he's like hey he's like hey he's like hey paul it's good to see you and i'm like like wait a minute i like talked to you like a year ago and like you remember my name like what the fuck right so i come he he gets off he you know he sets his guitar down on the stand or whatever gets off stage walks over and is like he's like so i was listening to the record he's like and he's like if like what your guys are doing on here he's like if this is the sort of thing like you uh, he's like and i watched your set you know when we played that day if if what you guys are trying to do on this you know on this record if this is what you're trying to do not only would I uh, want to produce your record, he's like, I'd fucking love to do it. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> I was like, what the hell? A few months later, we, we booked we booked a time with uh, with Chris Gibson. It was a studio, Upstart Studios, and it was in Hoboken. And it was in, it was basically his apartment was like made into a studio. His bedroom was off to one side and the whole rest of the apartment, like where your living room would be and stuff was like the drum room. And the, it, was, it was really crazy, dude. And it was like this like expensive Hoboken apartment. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I just got off the phone with, uh, with, with Dave Smalley. He's like, and then he looked at me, he was like, wait a minute. I just want to say that again. I just got off the phone with Dave Smalley. <laughs> cause he, he, cause he was kind of like amazed that this was happening too. And he's like, and Dave like told me what he wants to do. So Dave didn't, Dave was originally going to produce our record. But then what happened was he couldn't produce our record, not completely. Like he was going to come in and do it every day. But his band, um, I think it was Sharpshooters, were recording at Big Blue Meanie, which is like right there too. And I think it's in, no, not, not, no, they were, they were recording not at Big Blue Meanie. They were recording at Water Music. And he, he planned it that way. He planned to be here basically to already be in the area so that we didn't have to pay money for him to travel. 
He like went out of his way to like plan it so that he would already be here for some other reason. I'm just like, dude, this guy is like ridiculous. Like, how does this person exist in the world? Not only in the world, but in our punk scene. Like, how does this person exist? You know how it is in the studio, right? Sometimes, you know, the takes don't go the way you want or whatever. Or you want to do more takes. So, so you end up going over, right? So he ended up going over, but he had, he had called Chris. He had called Gibby and he, had, he told him like, hey, we're going to, you know, this is what I want you to do. He's like, these are the kind of mics I want you to use for Paul's voice. These are the kind of things I want you to do with this. This is what I want you to do with that. And then Chris had some really cool things he did too, where like he had this drum, he, he, he had a bass drum and then he had a cardboard box that he like put in front of the bass drum and then he cut a hole in it and he like hung a mic into the cardboard box to get like a slightly more boomy sound on, on the bass. And then he would mix those two, the kick drum, which he mixed those two together. So that's like where that kick drum sound comes from. Like, so the Chris had some really like really cool ideas and Dave came in the, the last two days and just mixed it for, he mixed it for like two days. And then we got it mastered with Alan Duchess because, you know, back then you got everything done with Alan Duchess. Um, if, if you wanted to get it done, done right. Right. Dave went over and he almost couldn't make it. This is the most ridiculous thing about Dave Smalley right here. This is this blew my mind. We were paying him like I don't remember how much it was, but it was not a lot. Like it was a very like budget bargain basement price that he quoted us because we were like a new band. He lost money that he was paying for the studio to make good on the deal he made with us to come and mix the record. And I'm just like, how is, how is that possible, dude? And then, like I said, then the thing with K-Rock, we got played up. We did get played at K-Rock by um, Matt Pinfield. And the reason we got played was because he saw Dave Smalley's name on it. My friend uh, worked at K-Rock. He, uh, he was like a Howard Stern intern. He, he did, he did some stuff like, you know, not like on the air intern, but like an actual intern for Howard Stern. He ended up just, chatting up Matt and, and giving Matt the record without any of us knowing any of this. And then he just calls us up one day and was like, dude, you guys are going to be on the radio tonight. You should listen. We're like, what the fuck? And then like, we were actually in the ad. Like he mentioned our name in the damn ad, dude. I was like, what? Like, like it was like, it was like, listen tonight when I play new stuff by, uh, and I think it was like, I want to say it was like biohazard, and some other bands and and there we were like like from that things started kind of happening well cool man well uh i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this up so last two questions uh before i ask the last one what would you like to plug it could be about you it could be about someone else it could be about both um i guess i uh like i said i plugged a couple things already um uh sophistapunks that's s-o-p-h-i-s-t-i-p-u-n-x that's the uh, that's the band, the most recent band I did. I'm pretty sure COVID killed us. Um, we haven't practiced since, you know, COVID lockdown. We're still friends. My guitar player and my bass player are both getting married in October. So, I, you know, they've been very, very busy with that. So you want to promote their weddings? Uh, no, <laughs> not promote their weddings. Just promote, promoting the band. And then, like I said, there's like, there's still a lot of good music going on. You know, people should definitely go check out the Mill Hill. You know, check out uh, the band Pissed. Like they're they're you know I mentioned them earlier. They're they're one of my they're one of my favorites. Teenage Bigfoot from Philly's really good. They're they're friends too. Um, that we played you know some shows with them. There's 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 still like I said there's still like a scene going on. People should definitely like look around. 
and you know it's 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 more underground than it was when we were doing it but it but it's still it's it's still there you know and there's still like some definitely some cool stuff happening cool man all right all right so last question what scene ethics do you hold on to to this day um i i feel like i don't know if i learned it from shows but like my 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 whole philosophy is just the you know i i do live by like the golden rule of like treat others how you want to be treated um you know and i feel like we did that you know i I feel like just we were you know we were a family you know um and I, i feel like the one thing i've learned is that um you know don't let small shit become huge and you know ruin something you know that was that's otherwise great you know because i think that's i think that you know there was some like infighting and stuff between some of the bands right um and i think like i feel like that kind of hurt us as a as a whole you know it's not it's not good to have like you know family members fighting and i don't know i guess like i said you know just don't like what the one thing i learned in the scene is like you don't have to be dog eat dog and there's there's room for everyone Every, everyone can have a little piece of the pie you know i feel like i feel like that's the main thing i learned from the scene and i feel like to this day like you know i'm still friendly with all all of you i would say you know i'm that i don't have any like you and i i don't think we've ever we've talked like this in probably decades but you know occasionally uh you know see like see like jeremy humble he's still jeremy humble to me um <laughs> you know um but you know journey jeremy hernandez and seeing like you know steve and um the guys in trenton with the, with our scene i feel like we 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 all kind of were part like part of something that no one else will ever really understand the way that we do and that like we'll, we'll always have that common bond 